Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Uh, We're in the midst of a message series entitled Things That Go Bump in the Night. And we are focusing all this next couple weeks on the issue of fear. And uh, does God have anything to say about fear? What does the Bible have to say about it? What can we learn specifically um, from God with regards to how we deal each and every week with the idea of fear? If you were here last week, um, we talked about a different type of fear. We talked about the fear of missing out. And we challenged all of us to say, you know, sometimes it's important to plug in. Sometimes it's important to be connected to what's going on around us so that we don't miss out on the most important moments of what God's trying to do in and around our families or in and around us when we're out in the marketplace as well. And as we continue this next topic of fear, in order to introduce it, I want to tell you a story. Um, uh, When I was about eight years old, my dad, uh, he is, my dad was a short, um, stocky, marine Italian. And so um, you can start picturing him. And he never knew he was going to be a character one day in my messages, but he is. Uh, but he came home and he loved us as boys. Uh, I had an older brother. Uh, he was 10 years old. His name was Billy. And Billy and I, we were there for the summer and my dad got it in his idea. We're going to go travel the country. We're going to get into a camper and we're going to travel the Great West and we're going to go see the sights. And so now many of you, if you were a younger brother, if you had an older sibling, the camper, you know, remember those things, they, they attached to the back of a pickup truck truck. And it had a little window, you know, the passageway where you could open it if you wanted to talk inside the cab to your parents. And for if you were a younger sibling, you saw it one way. If you were older sibling, you saw it as a great camper, a lot of fun, run around. There were no seatbelts back then. You're going to be fine. Um, If you were a younger brother, it was a death trap for a lot of reasons. Because when we were on the road, my older brother would decide that he would like to have fun and beat the tar out of me. And so here we are in the death trap camper and I would open the window, the passageway of truth and say, dad, he won't, he won't stop messing with me, dad. And my dad would say, which we all have heard before, don't make me stop this car. And uh, so then we would continue on. And so I was in the death trap all around the country, just horrible memories of just my brother picking on me. And we finally pulled in, we, we visited a lot of different sites. We pulled into Las Vegas, Nevada. And there was a campground there at a hotel uh, entitled Circus Circus. And uh, as we pulled in, um, if you remember those days, you you didn't have internet or whatever. You couldn't like pick the hotel that you went to. You know, you just kind of drove on the road and you would see a place and if it had availability, you would stop. So we pulled into Circus Circus. And as boys, the number one thing you would do is you would get out of the camper and you would run to find if they had a pool. Well, we did this all along the trip. And then at Circus Circus, we got out of the, the camper. We threw our swimsuits on, grabbed our towels. Bye, Mom, bye, Dad. And we, we took off. And we come to the pool at Circus Circus. And it's Las Vegas. And so all of a sudden, we stop at this huge pool. And it's like, oh, because there's a huge diving board at the end of the pool. And my brother looks at me and goes, yes. And meanwhile, I looked at it and said, no because I was scared to death. And my brother said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Now, you, you know how it works. Your older brother is responsible for the younger brother, so it doesn't matter what I want to do. It's what the older brother wants to do. So my older brother says, come on, come on, we're going on the diving board. And I'm like, no, no, no. He's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. He's dragging me. So we get all the way to the diving board. 
and there's a line going up the stairs. And so I'm standing there the whole time, and I'm like, Billy, Billy, I can't do it. Billy, I can't do it. be quiet. You're going to be fine. You'll be fine. Come on, stop being a baby. You're going to be fine. And so we're there, and we're, we're going for us, and I start to, you know, like well up with tears, and I'm just like, I don't want to do this. It's scary. I don't want to do this. You're going to be fine. Stop it. So then we start climbing the ladder. My brother's ahead of me, and he's climbing ahead of me. And so now I'm, I'm like, I don't want to do this, Billy. I don't want to do this. You're going to be fine. And we get to the top of the diving board. He gets up. I climb up, and we're both there. And I'm like, Billy, I don't want to do this. And he turns to me, and this is what he says. Terry, you're going to be fine. I'm right here. I'll be with you. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And for a split second, I thought, man, the kindness of my older brother. How wonderful. And so I look down and I just to, to gumption up my courage. And then I look up to tell him thank you. And he's gone. He ran and jumped off the diving board. And I'm there by myself at the tower of death. So I walk all the way up to the edge of the diving board. This is a true story. I'm not making it up. And I look down into the abyss. And I go, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. There's no way. It's a true story. I burst out in tears. I turn around and do the walk of shame. Now, if you're eight years old and you have to walk past a bunch of other eight to ten year olds, it is miserable. Not only did I have to walk past them, I had to make the line of kids on the ladder go down the ladder and get off so I could climb down the ladder. I ran all the way from that ladder all the way to the camper ran to my mom, bursting in tears. I will never forget it. But here's the truth. I saw death when for some of us in this room who don't have a fear of heights and don't have a fear of pools or water, that looks like fun. And I think sometimes in life, we allow fear to change our mindset. I think sometimes in life, if we're not careful, different types of fear can affect our lives and we don't even realize it. There's a man in the Bible by the name of David. And David was a man after God's own heart. And David was an incredible, incredible person. And David is going to, we're going to introduce him in just a second. David is going to be in a place where he is absolutely overwhelmed with fear. In fact, it's in a certain place in a certain time that David actually writes a passage of scripture that is famous for all Christians today. We talk about this passage at many memorial services and funerals. Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this passage of scripture. But I want to introduce to you the point of David's life in which he wrote it, because I think we can see some examples from him on how we're to deal with different types of fear. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in 2 Samuel verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 24. 2 Samuel 17, 24. If you have your iPads, iPhones, you can use those. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, again, I say it every week, download that because then all the message notes are there for you and you don't have to write them down. Here we go. It said, David soon arrived at Mahanim. By now, Absalom had mobilized the entire army of Israel and was leading his troops across the Jordan River. So let me catch those of you that maybe have never read the story don't understand what's going on. David had a son named Absalom. David was the king. He was in his 
Jerusalem. He was there. And all of a sudden he gets word that his son is coming with an entire army of Israel and they are about to bounce David out of his kingdom. So David is sitting in Jerusalem and he knows Absalom is coming for him. His own son, his own flesh and blood betraying him, turning against him and is about to want to take his father out. So David is encouraged to take his loyal followers and to escape. He goes to a place called Mahanim and there is where his followers say, David, you stay here. We're going to go fight your son and his army. And the winner of this battle will determine who remains king. So David gives his blessing and David stays at Mahanim and his son leads an army across the Jordan River and his army goes to face them and David is left behind. David, could you imagine in that moment what he thought? Am I going to survive? Am I going to be king? I've been rejected by not only my son, but I've been rejected by those that called me king and loved me. What's the future going to hold for me? All of these fears are facing David. The truth is in all of our lives, I believe there are all different types of fears that many of us recognize. And sometimes we don't even recognize that we face them. So really quickly, I just want to go through seven quick types of fear. We're not going to camp too long. But if you're taking notes, I'm going to run through seven different types of fears that you might be going through. And then we're going to see what happens with David. Take a look at this. First type of fear, fear of out of controlness. We yearn to have a sense of control, but God desires us to release that control to him. I know what this means. Fear of out of control. I had my 10 year old and for a lot of different years, he would say, daddy, would you play games with me? And I would grab the Xbox controller and I would play games with him. And I would always beat him because he was always younger. And and yes, I'm competitive. And all of a sudden at 10 years old, I'll never forget it. It was just recently. He said, dad, let's play the new Madden football game. And I said, son, you don't know what you're asking for (laughs) because your dad here is a champion at Madden. You know, I've, I've got skills, son. You got no shot. And he's like, yeah, we'll just see, dad, we'll just see. And I said, all right, son, let me kind of teach you a lesson. We play the first half. At the end of the first half, it's 42 to nothing, and my 10-year-old is winning. (laughs) Halftime comes, and he is doing a dance. And I'm looking, and I'm like, "Uh way to go, son, proud of you. We get to the third quarter. Third quarter, true story, I get the ball, and I score a touchdown. And I literally did this. Ha! In your face! He looks at me and goes, 42 to 6, Dad. I mean, really? I was sweating. I was competitive. I thought, what was going on? I felt out of control. Something was shifting. I was always, dad did everything better because he's too young. And now for the first time, my 10-year-old is trumping his dad at something. And I didn't know how I can handle that. Some of us face that in the workplace where all of a sudden our ideas are not the best ideas anymore. And somebody new comes along. We feel out of control. But I'll tell you this, because I had to ask for forgiveness later on from my 10-year-old. <laughs> Sorry, son. But I thought to myself, you know, the truth is, I think God likes it sometimes when we're out of control because it reminds us that we're never in control. He's the one who's always in control. And sometimes I think God allows us to go through seasons where we feel out of control just so that we can stop for a second and say, the truth is, I am not in control. God, you're the one in control. So fear of out of control. This number two, 
Fear of new whippersnapper ways. It's technical. It's there. You can look it up in the dictionary. Fear of new whippersnapper ways. But here's the point. Many times, many of us run from what we don't understand. When there's a a change, when there's something new, when there's something different, when all of a sudden it used to be this way all the time and all of a sudden it's changed and it could be changed for the better. It can make all the sense in the world, but because it's new, I don't know it, I don't understand it, and I run from it because I feel out of control. Fear of new whippersnapper ways. Let me give you an example of this. First, you have pen and paper went to the typewriter. Then you had the typewriter that went to the computer. Then you had the computer that went to touch-based. Yes, touch-based. I listened to the radio this past weekend, and there have a charity event in Miami, Florida. Ray Allen, who used to play for the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, Ray Allen is raising money for inner-city schools. Do you want to know why? It's to, so that they can buy iPads for all of the kids in the classes in the inner city schools. And I never forget what he says because he said, this is a real big issue because in many of the affluent areas, they are all on touch-based machines, iPads, phones. They have those. And when they get to testing sites and different things like that, they're introducing these touch-based things. And what he said was, the students in the inner cities, they're at a disadvantage because when they go to have to do these testing, they're introduced to new technology that they don't understand and don't get because they don't have access to them. So his charity event is raising money. Why? So that they can be on the same level playing field. It's a real issue, fear of new whippersnapper ways. But there's an antithesis to this, and it's this, the fear of old-fashionedness. I was going to say fear of old foginess, but that wouldn't be nice in church. Fear of old-fashionedness. Some of the new generation has to be very careful because many times because it's new and it's quick and it's fast and it looks flashy, we tend to dismiss the ways of old. But if you're not careful, there are lessons that are to be learned from the reasons why we did things a certain way. And if you dismiss dismiss things too quickly, you can find yourself with a big problem. So there's a fear of old-fashionedness. We don't want to deal with this. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to learn. We just want to move on, and you've got to be careful. There's a major one, and it's this, fear of rejection. Today, our kids are growing up in a world where they're isolated. Social media, yes, it has connected us at great levels, but social media has also isolated us. And so now here's what we do. Because we're fearful to be in public with individuals for fear that they might see exactly how we look or we act, we do this and we take the best angle with the best light with our phones and we take the best, cutest picture. We put that for our profile. We send that out so that people will be able to see, look how amazing I look. We then, we go to amazing places and we make sure we get a selfie shot. Why? So that we we can impress people to say, hey, look where I'm at. Why? Why do we do all this on social media? Why do our kids prop themselves up to look better than what normality really is? It's because deep down inside, all of us have a fear of being rejected by our peers or by others. And David is sitting there in Mahanin, and you talk about a fear of rejection. The people are about to attack. He is Fear of rejection. We have fear of difference. We surround ourselves with those that think like us and act like us so that we must always be right. I think we are guilty. If you're not a Christian, I want you to hear me because this is important for you. I think Christians do the lousiest job of this. I believe that we as Christians are always fearful of difference. 
In fact, what we do is we go into our neighborhoods, we go into our circles, and we only put people who think like us, act like us, and say the things we want to be said. And because of that, we live our lives in a bubble where we're always right and they're always wrong. When the truth is, is that that's not how Jesus called all of us to live as Christians. In fact, Jesus would look at our Christian circles and say, who do you have? Who are you investing in a relationship with that doesn't think like you, act like you, believe like you? Because if you don't have them, then you're not loving my people and you're not influencing them. And so many Christians have the fear of being different. And I think it's because we like hearing that we're always right. Now we can agree to disagree. I'm not saying that you have to believe exactly what they believe. But what I am saying is, is that you can learn and build a relationship and you can listen to understand. doesn't mean you have to agree, but you can listen to understand their point of view so you can learn to love them even that much better. Because of that, we have a fear of being different. We follow along. We dismiss the incredible uniqueness of our gifts and talents and we follow the status quo. And last but not least, we have one last fear and it's the fear of the unknown. We settle for what we know because it's safe. I believe that we as Christians in our lives, we like safe. We like comfort. We don't like to sweat. And if we're really honest, I have a great fear that one day I'll be before the Lord and he'll say, you didn't sweat enough, Terry. You didn't take enough steps of faith and trust me. You didn't get uncomfortable, Terry. You settled Because of the unknown, you stayed safe. Sometimes we don't see God move incredibly because we play it safe. And so David faced all of these fears. He's in Mahanin. He's writing. He's scared to death. He's got everything. His future's on the line. And then David is going to pause. And if you're taking notes, he's going to give us an example. So if you're struggling with fear, if you feel paralyzed, if you feel as if, you know what, I'm struggling with a lot of that, then I want you to take notes of what David does and he writes. And we're going to break it down bit by bit. Here's the first thing David writes. He says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I want you to see exactly what he said. All right, God, my son has rejected me. My faithful followers have rejected me. I could die in any moment, but I'm going to stop for just a second. I'm going to stop. You're my shepherd. You're God. I have all that I need. Not all that I want, but I have all that I need. And so some of us, the first thing we need to do when we're overwhelmed with fear is we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves the question, who's in control? Who's our shepherd? Who's our guide? The first time in a day when you wake up and anxiety strikes, you need to stop and you need to look yourself in the mirror and you need to say, who's my shepherd? Who's my God? Who's in control? And I have all that I need. And the reason why that's impressive and important is because what's the next line that David writes? Take a look. He says this. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Now, many of us, we see that in Scripture. and We've heard that. And he lets me rest in green meadows. And we picture Ireland and this beautiful lawn grass 
and just there and laying in the grasses on us and it's just gorgeous and luscious. That's not what David was writing. Because in the Middle East, there are not those types of lambs. Instead, it is rocky. It is deserty. There is not much grass at all. And so what was David really walking? If if you look into Israel and you see a shepherd, a shepherd leads sheep on the side of a desert type hill. In fact, take a look at this picture here. You can see in the background, all the sheep and there's a shepherd there. And if you look really closely, you can see little tiny shrubs of grass and foliage that is formed. Now, how is that? In the Middle East, if you've ever been there, during the days, most days, it is hot. The humidity is great. And so what happens is the air is thick with moisture. And then in the cool of night, that moisture drops and descends on the coolness of the rocks. It then seeps down beneath the rocks. And as it does, it forms a pool of water and moisture. From those pools of moisture, grass, weeds will grow. And a shepherd, a wise shepherd who leads his sheep through the desert in those valleys will lead his sheep directly in paths where they can find those little tufts of grass. And so what David was really saying is this, who's in control? My God, I have all that I need because my God leads me to the tufts of grass that I will feed as much as I want When I need them, I will have everything I need in the moment that I need them. Then he'll guide me to a stream so that I can have water. In other words, for those of us who struggle in fear and we start saying, but what about this? But what about this? Am I going to make this? Stop. My God's in control and he will provide all that I need. In fact, after you stop, many of us, we just need to drop and pray and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that you know what I need. I'm trusting you that you have what I need. And so I'm going to drop because you provide. But the next verse that David writes comforts my heart. Because let's be honest, if if you're not a Christian in this room, and if you are a Christian, many of us, here's what we do. We know that up here, God's in control. I don't need to fear. God's in control. I don't need to fear. God's in control. I don't need to fear. But God, it's really hard. And I've got bills, I've got this meeting, and it's hard to just say, yes, God's in control. It's hard. But here's what God promises. Here's what David writes that God promises to all of us. Take a look at this. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Now, I don't want you to miss this. If you're about to fall asleep, then just focus for two more minutes and go to sleep. Not really, but you know what I mean. What David wrote is, if I can get over my fears and trust that he's God, then what he promises is he will give me the wisdom to make right choices. And he will strengthen me because his truth strengthens me. That no matter what I'm going to face, that his truth ultimately will strengthen me to a point where I will bring honor not only to his name, but honor to my name because I follow him. Many of us are too afraid to crack open the door because we know it's going to be messy. But what God says, if you crack the door open, I promise to strengthen you. And I promise you that I'll give you wisdom and you will bring honor to me. Many of us just don't even want to crack the door open because we're too afraid of what that means. And so here, David continues on, and I love this. Take a look at this. He says, even when, 
And I put in some translations, it says though. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you're close beside me. Your rod, your staff, protect and comfort me. Even though, I've read that so many times in my life. You know what even though means? Many of you in here, you're struggling in your faith. Why? Because you've had a lot of bad things happen to you. Could be a death in the family. Could be a financial collapse. And you right now are struggling in your faith with God because of the fears and the anxieties in which you've had to go through. And what David does is he doubles down and says this, brothers and sisters, you will always have a though in life. You will always have issues that are going to come up. If you're a Christian in this room, you are going to have difficult moments that are going to arise. You are not safe from them. I did not promise you you're going to be safe from them. But here's what I did promise. Even though you're going to face them, you'll walk through them. I'll be beside you. With my staff, my rod, I'll comfort you and protect you. And so what's the encouragement for us? Those of us that fear, if we trust God, we're going to have hardships, but when we walk through them, we know that God is with us. One thing that I learned a long time ago and I always remember is this. There's only one letter that's different between though and through. There's only one simple letter between the those of life and how we get through, and that's the letter R. In the Hebrew language, the letter R is represented by a symbol. That symbol looks a little bit like this. Many times in my life when I have had fears and I've come to a situation, I've crossed my fingers and said, God, I hope. God, I hope I can make it. God, I hope that we do this. God, I hope I can get through. And isn't it interesting that the only difference between the those of life and getting through life is one simple symbol, and it's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So for those of you that have Christ, you have no need to fear because he's beside you. He comforts you. He strengthens you. In other words, I always say this, you need to stop dropping, you need to roll because he will move the those to throughs. Some of you have stopped, some of you have dropped and you're not rolling because you continue to say, all right, God, I'm I'm gonna keep praying. All right, God, I'm just gonna keep waiting for another sign. God, it's not time yet. God, I don't just, you know, it just doesn't look right. The weather, you know, the, the moment didn't come, God, and I'm just waiting. And meanwhile, God's looking at you and saying, what are you waiting for? It's time to roll. I'll get you through. In fact, if you had to fear something today, here's what I encourage you to fear. Fear nothing but the moments of the present. Fear nothing but the moments of the present. That when you're there, God, in the moment of the present, I pray that I will not be overwhelmed by fear, that I will attack the moments of the presence with a character and integrity and a hope that you have blessed me with because I know that you're beside me, that you allow me to rest with green pastures, that you lead me beside the water. I have all that I need. You protect me every step of the way and I will overcome. David sat in Mahanin and he wrote that scripture to encourage all of us that even when death is at our door, we have all that we have and need in Christ. Now, I ran to the camper and I was in my mom's arms. 
And my short, stocky, marine Italian father was standing there and he comes down and he goes, what are you crying about? For those of you millennials in the room, uh, you know, years ago was a little different parenting. And I go, and he goes, stop crying. I can't understand you. And I said, Billy, he jumped off in the abyss of death and left me there. And my, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what, what is it? And so finally my mom says, he got scared on the diving board and he came down. He's embarrassed. He goes, what? Is that true? Yeah. He's like, get over here. So he grabs my arm. He's like, follow me. And he drags me. And I'm like, well, where are we going? Where are we going? He's like, you're coming with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we come all the way to the pool. And so then I, we get to the pool. And you ever have this picture of a dad and his son? This was me. Like, you know, here's the dad and here's me as a little boy. And I'm like, see, look how big. My dad's like, that's it. And I said, yes. And he's like, get over here. So he drags me all the way to the line. And he goes, you're going to go up on that ladder and you're going to jump off that diving board. I go, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. You're going to conquer your fear, son. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's just a diving board. There's a pool of water. You're going to be fine. Now suck it up. By the way, men in marriage, those words never work. Just letting you know, suck it up. Move fountain. That doesn't work. Sensitivity, guys, sensitivity. So anyway, so I'm like, I can't. He's like, you're going to do it. So now here's the truth. I had two choices. Jump to my death or fear a beating. Death didn't sound that bad. So I said, okay. And so I'm thinking, all right, at least my dad's with me. He's going to walk up the ladder with me. He's going to make sure I'm okay. And so I'm sitting there and I'm crying and I'm wiping the tears off my eyes. And then I turn to look and my dad's gone. True story. He's gone. And I'm like, great. My brother abandoned me. My dad abandoned me. I picture myself on a couch with a counselor someday. Very traumatic. So I get to the ladder and I'm just scared and, and the other kids are like, hurry up, let's go, come on kid. And so I, I, I climb the ladder and I am crying and weeping. And I get all the way to the top and my knees are buckling. I am just scared to death. And so finally the kid behind me is like, like hanging on the ladder like, move kids so I can get on the ladder. And I'm like, get on the diving board. I'm like, okay. So I move all the way to the edge. And true story, I sat there and I, I, knew, I was petrified and I, I was going to look down and see what I saw before and see death. But this time it was different because as I stood at that diving board, as I looked over into the water, it was changed because my father was there. And my father looked up at me with his arms open and he said, Terry, jump. I'll catch you. So with all the strength that I had, I jumped off that diving board, scared to death. And I hit the water. My dad grabbed me. He picked me up and he said, you did it. You did it. And I remember saying, I did. And he said, you want to do it again? I said, yeah, I'll do it again. Don't miss this. There are some of you that are at the standing at the edge and you are so gripped by fear that you don't want to take the leap of faith. And your heavenly father is standing there and he has his arms wide open and he's looking at you and he's saying, you can do it. You can jump. I'll catch you. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a a difficult message because there are many of us in this room that don't like to admit that we're fearful. But the truth is, Lord, I believe that we are paralyzed many times by 
the fears and the different types of fears that we face. Father, right now, I pray in this room. I pray for those that are struggling. I pray for those that don't even know that their lives are being affected, their course of direction is being affected because of the different types of fear that they're allowing to overcome them. So Father, may we take a page out of David's book. May we trust, Lord, in his writing where he said that we will have all that we need because we have a great shepherd who guides us. So Lord, instead of seeing the black abyss, instead of seeing death, instead of seeing no hope, I pray that today you'd replace that with the truth that you are there and that you're ready to catch us. In just a moment, I wanna encourage you to just stay seated. Our praise team is gonna sing and play. And I just encourage you, whatever is gripping you, whatever fear is attacking you, this is your moment to give it back to God. This is your moment, like David, to write down on your heart, you are God and I'm not. You are in control and I'm not. And I can move past anything because you are with me. Make this your opportunity to turn it over to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, right now, this is your moment. I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of all of us and that we would be encouraged to know exactly what course to take. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.